to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Hope everybody had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Robert, along with my co-host, R.G. Seal. And you know who's not putting out turkeys these days, R.G.? The Texans. Eight in a row, man. Come on. Get excited. Bird. Bird. Bird is the word, right? Turkey. <laughs> bird is the bird is the word. No, it's the word is they're not going to be beat. They're unbeatable. Is that unbeatable? Can we use that word? Borrow something from a unbeatable. Wow. That was Akeem's big phrase back in the day, right? Right. Well, let's start with before we get into the actual Texans and the game and, and how they're playing and everything like that. Um, and, and by the way, again, my Locked On Texans podcast, go check it out. Uh, we, we've done a couple of things over there but I, that are really nice. But I got to talk about, to start with Bob McNair and just get your thoughts. We did a whole show over on Locked On Texans looking at his, his legacy and, and Bob McNair's passing. Uh, what were your thoughts? What did you think when you saw that Bob McNair passed away? Well, the biggest thing to me was just that how – instrumental he was for bringing the NFL back to Houston. I mean, he was a, a, a great philanthropist. Obviously, many have already spoken about that and all his contributions to Houston. But, you know, when I remember Bob McNair, you have to recall that when we saw the Oilers leave in the mid-1990s when Bud Adams finally closed down the Astrodome and said the Oilers are playing there for the last time and Elvis left the building and all of that, you know, they moved on to Tennessee it didn't seem like Houston would ever get the NFL back again. It just seemed like a pipe dream because at the time that the Houston was vying for an NFL team in, in 1998, so was Los Angeles, who had lost their team in Los Angeles, had Michael Ovitz with a group and, you know, all the Hollywood celebrities and uh, the business people, the nation's second largest market. And everybody figured, oh, well, Los Angeles would get it, but they didn't have their ducks in a row. Guess who had their ducks in a row? Bob McNair did because Bob McNair said, I have the stadium. I have the money. And he put together a great presentation and he blew the NFL away and he was able to convince the other owners, no, Los Angeles isn't the place to go. Houston is. And so instead of having this long drought without having football, and we know how much football means to the city of Houston and to the state of Texas and the heartbreak for a lot of people who had grown up, ourselves included, following the Oilers, seeing them leave town and and not having a football team in Houston, all of a sudden you get this football team back. And that's his legacy. When the Texans take the field every Sunday, when there's an NFL team in Houston, when there's an NFL game going on, it's because of Bob McNair. And, uh, you know, sports brings so much to the community. It's what we love about it. It's That's why we're sports fans. I mean, I, I know some of the people that are out there might say, well, I, it's because I, I gamble or for other reasons. But for most of us, it's, you know, hey, we we grew up and we rooted for these teams and we've been through the highs and lows. And that's why we're sports fans. Yeah, and I don't know about you, but I, I just didn't know, like, what to do when there was no NFL team in Houston. I, I just couldn't get into the end. It was really, really hard to go, okay, well, what do I have to go pick it? I've got to go find a team now. Do you remember that? That whole going through that process? Yeah, and I mean, I, there were teams that I liked, you know, okay, this team hadn't won in a while. So it was like, you know, oh, I, I, I enjoyed that. Or it was a team that, you know, I liked because of a certain player. I mean, I'm sure it's what people growing up in Hawaii have to do. Gosh, those poor people, they got to pick a team, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, if you're in Hawaii, you, I, I have no sympathy for you whatsoever. Or, you know, uh, you're going to be up in Montana too. So let's 
it's just not the single out Hawaii or whatever. It's just like you got to pick a team and you got to pick players, but you can't go right down the street and watch the game where everybody's tuned in to the same local team every single week where there's that sense of community. So, you know, that's that was yeah, it was a it was a weird time. It, it was it's uncertain time. And when you don't have a team, I mean, you just you, you know, you have to kind of like you said, cling to players, other teams and. You don't really have that really hard fanaticism, why we have the word fan, uh, you know, uh, that you do when you have your own local team. And I mean, look how good when the Texans are winning or the Astros are winning or the Rockets are winning. I mean, just how excited the community gets. A couple of things that I want to bring up. First of all, there were those people that would go root for the Titans after the Oilers left. and, And I feel like that's kind of rooting for your wife to get, you know, like a guy or something like that after she leaves you or I just don't get it. I mean, it's well, well for some people they want that because that means their wife will leave them alone. So or their ex-wife will. So yeah, go find a guy. Yeah. And it could mean a, a little bit of money, you know, on the, in the old uh, pocket exactly. as well in, in that situation. But it's like, yeah, it's like seeing your, I don't know. It's, let me just say, let me put it to you this way. It's like seeing your ex-wife that left you that you were still so in love with and she's at a bar and you're like rooting for her to when some guy comes up to to go home with that guy. It just it make that's it makes no sense to me. I mean, I I just don't get it. But the other thing that you said that struck me is when I was listening to it is so you're basically saying that we got to remember that before the Astros beat the Dodgers, Bob McNair beat Michael Ovitz. I mean, that was the beat L.A. that when it really counted. They did beat the- L.A. I mean, Houston beat L.A. People forget about that. But that was a big in 1998, you know, when they were 1999, when they finally announced it, I guess, three years beforehand that the uh, NFL would be returning. The expansion franchise would go to Houston. I mean, that, that they ended up Houston ended up beating L.A. So you're right. Hey, you know, many years before the Astros and the Dodgers in the World Series. I just want to remind everybody that, you know, we did it. I did this. 30-minute show on Lockdown Texas. So we, we we went over the whole legacy. But, you know, a couple of things that I, I failed to mention in that, I, I mentioned in the, in the post game over on Lockdown Texas, but I feel like this is it's worth mentioning again. Uh, there, there, there was this sort of the thing that, oh, Bob McNair, he doesn't want to win. Well, first of all, anybody that spends $700 million uh, for an NFL team, they want to win. They, there's no way Bob McNair isn't competitive. There's no reason to do this if you're not competitive. I mean, who who would want a team and not want to win a championship? Who wouldn't want to win a Super Bowl? Who wouldn't want the accolades uh, of walking through a city where people are congratulating you? Say, you ask Jim Crane what it means to walk through the city and everywhere he goes, people say, hey, thanks for bringing that to us. You know, you, you made my life. You changed my life. There's nobody that well, maybe Donald Sterling, but he's not an owner anymore. So yeah, well, who knows? That guy was kind of nuts, but yeah, but no, Bob McNair absolutely wanted to win. And let let, let me also point out that, and it's something that I, this is already something that I point out, but it's worth saying one more time. Look, uh, the Texans are not a travesty. <laughs> it's not a terrible franchise. The first decade, they, they had their struggles. Uh, yes, they, they couldn't get it on track, but that was, let's just say the first eight years until 2010, since 2010, in this decade, from 2011 forward, the Texans have four division championships right now. They're on track to get their fifth division championship in the decade. You could say, well, the competition isn't good. Well, there's three other owners out there that are trying to get division championships too, and they're not doing it. But Bob McNair, uh, what he set up, you know, has 
the capability and and has been able to to pull it off. The other thing is, look at who's on the roster right now. Look at what he left the the Texans. They are now, uh, you know, eight and three, eight game winning streak. You've got seven players, count them seven, that have been either first or second team all pro that are on the roster. That's pretty darn good. It's also good that in the, in the decade, they have drafted two Hall of Fame players, two of them, you know, J.J. Watt and DeAndre Hopkins already. You know, we, we, we know that. Like, they are on pace, on track. I think J.J., even if the, his career ended tomorrow, he's a Hall of Famer. And DeAndre, you know, maybe he's not quite there. But, you know, in a year or two, if he keeps doing this, I mean, you're going to say, yeah, it's going to be tough to, to, to take him. It would, it would have to be, you know, some sort of massive decline for him or something like that if DeAndre Hopkins doesn't make the Hall of Fame. So, yeah, he's, he's left this franchise in pretty darn good shape, and it, it doesn't look so bad. And if they do this this year and they do it the next year, and, and you can, you, they're set up to do it with Deshaun and uh, the guys that they have in place. There's a lot of blue-chip guys and they've got a good GM. What looks like a good GM anyway at this point. I mean, it's only a few months in, but uh, less than a year. But he, he looks good so far. I think a lot of this stems probably from the fact that the Texans, for the first several years of their organization, they you know had all these mishaps, at least as far as the football organization went. They weren't able to make the playoffs until, what, almost 10 years into their existence. They seemed to stick with coaches longer than they should have. But always, what getting back to your first point, it was always known as a first-class organization. It wasn't kind of like one of the organizations where Cata had laughing stocks and you know, just complete blunders off the field. I mean, again, they the Houston Texans have been great for the community, the city of Houston, uh, the outreach that Bob McNair was able to build with philanthropic efforts. So the organization has always been a class organization. And that's not always the case with owners. And that's not always the case with organizations. So and then, like you said, over the last several years, the Texans have been able to win the AFC South and and win divisions and and get into the playoffs. Now, they still have not been to a Super Bowl and, and there's criticism there. But like you said, the structure is there now for them to be a competitive team, not only now this season, but into the future. Yeah, you said uh, they're a class organization and not all organizations are like that. I mean, Case in point, RG, we know them. We know that organization that wasn't like that. They're called the Oilers. People here probably remember when the Oilers were in town and all the kind of crazy things that happened with Bud Adams. When, But I, again, may he rest in peace as well and, and, and rest in peace, Bob McNair. And, uh, you know, again, condolences to his wife and family. All right, let's get to football. And Bob McNair would want us to get to football. And let me ask you, eight games in a row, what the Texans did on Monday night against the Titans, their division rival. Where are you right now on this team? What, what are you thinking about? I mean, we, we went over it with our post-game show. Uh, I had some thoughts there looking at the big picture, the smaller picture on some stuff. Uh, what did you think when you saw what happened on Monday night? I mean, this is a team that's, uh, to me, it looks like they're going to win the AFC South. I mean, I know there's a game coming up against uh, the Indianapolis Colts, who, by the way, have also been streaking and winning and all uh, I want to say Oliver Luck there you had me of the Oilers and stuff but Andrew Luck uh you know he's been uh, tremendous again this year so uh but looking at the Texans and, and you know they had some lapses on defense gave up a couple of big plays but overall the defense has played much much better and 
you know, Romeo Cornell's defense, as we talked about, you know, he's been able to use have that magic touch again. And J.J. Watt's just been sensational this season when a lot of people thought would this guy even be able to come back and play at 75 percent of his, uh, you know, what he used to be. And, you know, he's been, again, you know, NFL defensive MVP caliber type player. And then you have, uh, you know, Deshaun Watson running the offense and the running game with Lamar Miller getting Deontay Foreman back. Hopefully that can even strengthen it further. So to me, the things that you're going to need, of course, to make any kind of deep playoff run, you're going to need to have that franchise level quarterback who can make the plays both passing and with his feet, which is Deshaun Watson. You have to have. The running game, which they have with Lamar Miller, Alfred Blue, and hopefully with Dante Foreman being able to add something. Uh, the offensive line has gotten slowly better as the season's progressed. You have to have the defense, of course, too. And so the Texans, they aren't a defense where every time you look up, you're getting whiplash because uh, you know teams are running up and down the field against them. They have a good defense. They have the pass rush. We mentioned with J.J. Watt and uh, Jadamian Clowney, you know, they, they're playing better in the secondary. I've been really impressed with the rookie, uh, Justin Reed, you know, and, uh, and what Ty Matthew brings to the, the uh, defense, too, the Honey Badger. So, you know, you have all of these players and uh, the Texans again you know to me it's going to get down to can they play gritty defense make stops uh, not give up those big plays you know it would also be able to shut down some of the better teams that they're going to face passing wise because they're going to have to make some stops on defense if they're facing a Patrick Mahomes if they're facing a Ben Roethlisberger if they're facing a Tom Brady so I mean and then they're also going to have to get enough offense through ball possession you know ball control through the running game and Deshaun Watson making his passes. But again, I, I love the fact of Deshaun Watson, give, if it's a close game and he's there in the final two minutes, I mean, we saw what he did at Clemson. We've seen what he can do in the NFL. Uh, that's why, I mean, I'm more bullish on the Texans than ever with this franchise. The, fa- the final two minutes that you just said the key there, the final two minutes. And, and it's, it's going to be a battle with the Texans. Who wins it? Deshaun Watson, who we trust, or Bill O'Brien, who we don't trust so much. Uh, to right. me, that, that that's the difference with the Texans uh, winning in the playoffs and losing in the playoffs because they look like a team that are going to be in games. I mean, I think the criticism with the Texans, I don't think, I know the criticism is, well, it's Bill O'Brien and they're getting lucky and he's not that great of a coach and blah, blah, blah. We know all, why everybody is down on this team and it, it just keeps going back to Bill O'Brien. But let me just make this point. You don't win games that are close if you're not in games that are close. And that's what the Texans do. They get in close games. And if you're going to be in the close game and you're going to be in the playoffs, then you're going to have to figure out a way to win it. Deshaun Watson, just a reminder, uh, he, I think in my post-game show, I said he was undefeated 4-0 uh, in prime time as a Texan on national television. He's 4-1. and I forgot the Kansas City game. The Chiefs, they, they lose J.J. Watt and Whitney Merciless in the first drive. The error totally went out of the building and they could recover from that. Deshaun uh, struggled in the first half with the air out of the building, but in the second half, he made a hell of, you know, he made a hell of an attempt to try to get back in the game with the chiefs. But, but that, by that point it was too late. The defense, you know, couldn't do anything about stopping the chiefs without JJ and, you know, Whitney merciless, but here's the deal. Deshaun Watson, you know, he's beaten Alabama on the biggest stage that there is. And, and that's the key, RG, is you've got Deshaun Watson. you got Deshaun Watson 
and you got J.J. Watt and DeAndre Hopkins, all these guys, you got a chance. Yeah, you have a chance. But like what you said earlier, it's uh, Bill O'Brien, and he's shown some, uh, you know, uh, real head scratchers with his clock management, with his play calling. And, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, playing, you know, not to lose uh, towards the end of game. So, I mean, the Texans have won eight in a row, and you have to credit Bill O'Brien for that too. So I don't want to just completely – I'm just saying there are reasons to have reservations out there why some people are still not buying in because they have been pretty much squeakers for the most part that the Texans have won. They've gotten lucky, which, uh, you know, for this franchise, they hadn't had a whole lot of luck in their career but they, uh, or their, through their existence, excuse me, but they have this season. So, uh, you know, they're going to have – to see more people are going to have to say, well, if you can beat, you know, like a, uh, you know, New England in the playoffs, then I'm on board. You know, if you can beat a Pittsburgh in the playoffs, then I'm on board. So it's it's until the Texans can do that, take that next logical step and you know show people because I mean, a regular. But I think, you know, I don't know about you, but I mean, there's a real tangible chance now. I mean, at least a, a, a pathway out there where the Texans could get the two seed and a bye. And uh, with Pittsburgh losing to Denver, uh, they moved up right there because they both have three losses. But uh, Texans have more wins because the Pittsburgh has that tie. And then you're looking at New England, you're tied with them. You lose the tiebreaker. But New England has Pittsburgh coming up, you know, so they have some games where they could potentially lose. And and then even Kansas City is not a lock with their schedule, uh, who they have there that, you know, they still have to play the Chargers. And, and so, I mean, there's there's some different, you know, difficult schedule, games remaining on the schedule for these teams. And the Texans, you know, they still have an opportunity to get that by. Hey, so that, they're, they're going to be favored on at least four of the five, probably all five games. I mean, the Eagles right now, the way they're struggling, the Texans are going on the road, but they could be favored. They're definitely going to be favored over Jacksonville. I mean, they're home for the Colts. They're home for the Browns. They're home. The Jets game is, you know, so you look at the schedule. But even if they go four, if they go 12 and four, let me ask you this. If they go 12 and four, they go four and one over these remaining games. They finish at 12 and four. Is that good enough for a number two seed, you think? You know, this remains to be seen. I mean, the the Steelers, I looked at their schedule. Their schedule is difficult. And and, and the Patriots, you know, they just seem to usually find a way to get a a one or two seed this time of year. To me, the Chiefs, it's going to be difficult to to overtake them. You figure you're going to be behind them. You're already back a game. But yeah, the Steelers and the Patriots—it's all going to depend. I'm just saying, if if you if they said tomorrow you get 12 and four, do you think that's good enough for Texans to be a one or two seed? Maybe not. Maybe not. I just you know I I I think the Patriots figure out a way with the to figure. I mean, I don't know. I just feel like they're going to be right there and basically you're saying if they go if they go four and one correct too they're 12 and four right yeah they have the tiebreaker obviously because they beat the texans so that's that's a big deal so another uh, so they have to be 11 and five or 10 and six or something which they are not going to be 10 and six but they probably have to be like 11 and five for texans to have a real chance and texans go four and one over the last few games right it's it's uh, yeah it's a hard path for them to get to the two seed i still think it's still pretty difficult but you know get the three seed so you're not facing uh, the likely candidate there is the Chargers. You don't want the Chargers in the first round of the playoffs. So you want the three seed. Right. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, by the way, a team not uh, on a roll, not doing well. It was, it, God, they were just, it was just last week that we were feeling so good and we had the going into Thanksgiving and the Texans are hot and the Rockets are hot. And what 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 happened? What? what? The Rockets? What happened? They lost to the Cavaliers and the Wizards? What? Are you kidding me? 
Uh, it it was terrible, RG. I mean, they 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 lose to the Pistons in overtime, and then they get a hangover. And they lose. Uh, then they lose Chris Paul. And you know, you and I discussed this. I mean, you get four years, forty million dollars for Chris Paul. This is a guy who's thirty three years old. This is what we were worried about: injuries. He's old. All of a sudden, he's injured again. Last year, the Rockets were able to overcome the loss of Chris Paul. Uh, for the games that he missed, and, and and they had a great record, even when Chris Paul wasn't on the floor this year. I don't think they can overcome uh, no Chris Paul, not with the team as as is constructed. They just don't seem to be clicking for whatever reason, and the defense has gone back into the toilet. And even though Bedzelic is back, he's back in there. The, the defense, uh, boy, they did not look good against the Wizards. They did not look good against the Cavs. They. You know, we struggle a little bit against the Pistons. Got to give the Pistons some respect, though. I mean, uh, they're doing a nice job with the the new coach, the the four, the coach of the year last year with the Toronto Raptors, Dwayne Casey, poor guy. But he he lands on his feet and, and does a nice job with the Pistons to make them competitive. But you know, these are games that last year's Rockets would have just laughed at. They'd have won by twenty or something like that. Oh, you went through a lot right there to go describe the Rockets and falling down the the rabbit hole right now but uh yeah they're not they're not really doing too well the, the rockets are slumping like you said it's all a matter of days because just a week ago i, I think you were organizing a ticker taper parade again the rockets are back so uh, it's like the screaming headlines on a newspaper right one you know one week it's like oh they're back and the next weekend they're terrible they're done you know so stick a fork in them it's it's going to be this way, though, I'm afraid, kind of like what you said, because of the Chris Paul injury. Remember, we talked about this when he when he signed uh, the long term deal after the season. Remember when they, he, they lost in the playoffs, the Rockets lost as I think Chris Paul was out. I saw this in Los Angeles with, when he was with the Clippers and coming over to Houston. I mean, he's just injury prone. He's going to be out a certain amount of time. You have to factor that in. You can't expect him in the Rockets. They even know that they probably thought, well, okay, they'll be not available for certain back-to-back games here. Probably, you know, their analytics department looks at how many games that he'll probably play in a season, but still, I mean, you know, they were expecting, again, this is why the mellow experiment not working, you know, when they let go of Trevor Ariza, they didn't have him. It was uh, go out and get somebody that could at least offer them some offense. Because if you, you know, a couple of the games here, you know, you could have used like the Cleveland game. I remember, you know, when uh, Carmelo Anthony earlier in the season, he had a couple of game against Brooklyn. I mean, it was a game where you could have used some offense that evening. And even though he wasn't effective with the Rockets and, and had it, you know, a terrible time this season is looking for another place. You know, it, it, it's just that's that's what you kind of need some nights. You have to have that, you know, depth on your bench and just like what you said. And people just forget about Trevor Reza, too. And, oh, well, you know, he, he look at his plus minus or he was older, his f- field goal percentage or look what happened in game seven of the playoffs of the Western Conference finals. And, you know, uh, he's not the player that he once was. Or he lost step on defense. Look, that guy was a lunch pail guy. He took the, the floor every single night. He was part of a cohesive unit. Players respected him. He's and, and NBA is about chemistry. It's about playing well together. And the guy played. We know that. You used to talk about it. Trevor Reza plays too many minutes per night. Why is he playing 40 to 45 minutes? Well, now you see why. Because James Ennis, I mean, he's a nice player, but he's not Trevor Reza. And then you have to go down the depth chart where you have Gary Clark. He's looked sensational at times, but he's a rookie. He also hasn't looked good at times. And, you know, that's 
that's going to happen. I mean, he's he's a nice player, but he's just not there yet. So you have to find some other. I mean, Maury's got to be, you know, looking to find ways to improve this team. I and mean, we've been talking about that. But, you know, he probably thought, well, I could do this in February. No, I mean, he's going to have to do it sooner than February. I mean, he tried to get Jimmy Butler. You know, he's been looking at uh, adding to the Rockets roster. But the injured Chris Paul, like you said, I mean, the Rockets could be, you know, mediocre or below 500. And you can't in the Western Conference. I mean, if you want to have any chance of being one of the top four teams, because, I mean, right now they're okay just because the other teams have kind of all they're all bunched up together. But you don't want to get to that point where. You know, you've got to make a run just to make this be the seventh or eighth seed in the playoffs. You walked me right into what I want to talk about next because, you know, I love Daryl. You know, I'm a big fan, Team Daryl Morey, whatever. But, you know, he badly neglected the Rockets bench going into this year, considering the injury history of Chris Paul, Eric Gordon, Brandon Knight, Nene. Those last two guys haven't even stepped on the court yet. Uh, just, you know, you, you couldn't go into the season relying on Michael Carter Williams. Uh, Marquise, Chris, and rookies. It was a recipe for disaster. Uh, forget Carmelo. I'm talking about the guards because of CP3, Gordon, and Knight. Uh, MCW, you know, that's that's the guy that you're going to replace a, as a guard if one of those guys goes down, either CP3 or Gordon, or even we've had Harden injuries as well. But the big guys with no Nene because he's always hurt, you're relying on Hartenstein. I mean, and Mar- Marquise Chris. And I mean, it's just those guys, you, you can't, you couldn't go into the season like that. And that, that was, you're, you were asking for trouble. And, and I want to get to the other thing that's really bugging me uh, about the Rockets. And, and this, is, this is the focus of James Harden. Uh, do you, know, you want to know where I want to go with this, RG? The, the James, my James, you, want to, you ready for my James Harden rant? <laughs> I've never seen you just like with a superstar. I mean, this guy, I mean, you got to say something about him all the time. This is the issue. I mean, I, I mean, it's probably not Rockets politically correct to go after Harden when he just, you know, scores 40 and he's, you know, 50 and blah, blah, blah. But really one of the big issues this year, and you probably remember this with Tracy McGrady and, and Yao Ming, there was this uh, time span for a couple of years. It, it felt like every game they would get off to a terrible first quarter start. And this is what the Rockets do now. They, 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 they fall behind. Last year's Rockets were going ahead, and they were sitting on you. It's, it's Harden's lack of focus early in games that the problem is. It's the problem. The Rockets last year, they focused on both ends from start to finish. And guess who sets the tone? For the Rockets, that is James Harden. Well, let me let me just jump in here for a second, though. I think you're being a little bit unfair. Yeah, I mean, he's had some turnovers. He's had some lapses. And look, he ha- he, he struggled at the early part of the season, too. But I, I think to shoulder everything on Harden, which he's really having to do again, without Chris Paul out there, I mean, everything falls on him. You don't have Trevor Ariza. Again, I mentioned two key guys, two veterans who were there a good part of last season, especially when the Rockets were getting off to their fast start and everything. And, you know, James Harden now, I mean, and and Eric Gordon, remember, he's been a terrible shooting slump too. So that's another veteran you haven't been able to rely on because he just hasn't been shooting well, hasn't getting the minutes. And then, you you know, so then you've got all these guys shuttled in and out of the lineup and then everything's falling on Harden and defenses know that they can just focus on Harden and he's got to play, you know, more minutes than he should at this stage of the season. So, I mean, there's a lot more responsibility and burden. And yes, it's the old Peter Parker, Spider-Man, the greater responsibility, you know, uh, there, you know, 
what is it? I forget anyway, but <laughs> you, you brought it up. You're the, you're the comic guy. I'm just telling you, you know, as far as superheroes go, uh, there, there's a lot of kryptonite in, in James Harden's game. And you look at what's going on with the Rockets. And, and I know all the Harden protectors will jump in front of the bus for him. But I'm just saying, I mean, early in games, it's, 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 it's setting the tone. If you get off uh, on the Cleveland Cavaliers early in the game, they had five turnovers in like the first three minutes of the game. If you get off on the Cleveland Cavaliers and you're up by 10, it's a team that's going to fold. The Wizards, the same thing. You get up, but if you start turning the ball over, James Harden, a lot of times early in the game, he's not trying to score. You cannot just sit there on the sidelines and expect – other guys to score when there is no Chris Paul or Eric Gordon is in a slump. That's the reason why you're a superstar. You got to take it. You got to take the hand by with the wheel. And then if you start scoring, guess what? Eric Gordon, who's struggling, all of a sudden gets a little bit more wide open because everybody's got to focus on James Harden. And he kind of sits out in the first quarter and lets these other guys take control of the game. And, and that's that's my problem with James, and that's I, – I, 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 I just don't think you – I just don't think you can lay it all on his shoulders. By the way, that was with great power comes great responsibility. I don't know. I just had a blank right there. But anyway, uh, uh, you know, I, it's it's just I, – I, I think that this is deeper. It's just you can't point it all on Harden. You can't point it all on Mike D'Antoni. You can't point it all on Chris Paul being out of the lineup. can't point it all on Jeff Bezdilic not being here for the defense. It's been a – can't point it all on Carmelo Anthony and coming in and just being a non-factor almost, you know, and stuff like that. And, I mean, there are just a lot of reasons why this year's Rockets are a huge disappointment so far. I mean, they've got to be one of the biggest disappointments in the NBA. What, the Houston Rockets and the Boston Celtics? A lot of people thought maybe that could be the NBA Finals, and both teams have sputtered out of the gate. Well, when you have the injuries or you have guys struggling, struggling, there's less room for error. And James Harden sometimes plays like it's an all-star game. And and this is where I, I get frustrated with him. There was a point in the game, uh, I think it was against the, yeah, it was against the Wizards, where, you know, he gets, he gets double teamed. Two guys jump on him, and, and P.J. Tucker is wide open in the corner. There's nobody, all the other defenders are on the other side of the court. He's wide open for a corner three, which is like exactly what the Rockets want. And instead of James just, all he had to do was jump up and make a two-handed pass uh, over the, uh, one of the defenders' heads, and, and P.J. Tucker would have had a wide open three, no problem. But instead, James tries this behind-the-back pass that barely makes it to P.J. Tucker. He's got to come and get it, and the defender's got time to recover. And so, you know, P.J. instead has to drive and, 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 and make something else happen. That's not what you want P.J. Tucker to be doing. And, and there's other plays where uh, James Harden went – oh, i give you another example – you know, it's like, again, you don't need to keep going over examples of Harden. I mean, people know they watched him. Look, the guy can, you know, he has like these erratic moments and he has inconsistencies and turnovers. But the guy's a superstar. He's a great player. And it's like, I think you're just being a little bit too harsh right now. Oh, and things aren't going well. Blame Harden. I mean, it's just like, you know, there, there's it goes a lot deeper than that. Yeah, but the, there is something is called focus. And I do feel like that's something that. Uh, matters, especially when you when you've got these other issues. He can do the showboating when you're up by 15 or 20. When Chris Paul is back and you're running on all cylinders, I mean, this stuff where James Harden pulls up from 30 feet after he's hit two threes in a row and he thinks he's you know Pistol Pete Maravich or something like that. That stuff, I don't. I mean, you're throwing away possessions 
when it's a close game. You know, it was fine last year when they're up by 15 and he did it and everybody was like, oh, it's a heat check, James Harden. Yeah, but you, there, you, don't, you can't heat check when you're only up by three or you're down by two. There's no, there's, you, you can't do the heat check thing. Just play some fundamental basketball and, and, and Harden gets a, away from that. But. I sure so hope the, the, excuse me, the Rockets start winning for your sake. I don't do, you're on the, pushing the panic button already. I can hear the alarm sounding. So. Oh, well, I mean, you got they're under 500. I mean, that's... Well, uh, I know, but I mean, it's... Yes, of course. But I mean, gosh, it's just it's December still, too, just where we're entering. So, I mean, there's still a lot of basketball to be played. Yeah, and I guess it's just, for me, it's, it speaks to who James is. And that's... that. That's a that's a concern. And you say this every year, and that's what I mean. The guy has a contract, and he's a superstar, and he just won the MVP. And I mean, the Rockets aren't where they are without him. So I mean, you know, what's your? I mean, you just say, hey, be a better superstar. You know, be a more focused and disciplined superstar. Well, I mean, that's yeah. I I don't know if that's ever going to be the case. I mean, he's that's part of his greatness and his creativity is offensive. Uh, prowess is because of you know just some of the things he does are unbelievable and then sometimes you just shake your head at them but that's kind of who James Harden is and uh, you know that's uh, he's always been kind of a little bit uh, you know of a, of a less than uh, stellar at the defensive end we know that he has problems on the defensive end so you know the offense is, is where he's made his name and so it's just like right now I think that you know at least for I just think that it just goes much deeper than James Harden. And I don't know, continually harping on Harden like you do. I don't know where that, you know, I mean, he he is who he is. And, and he's been phenomenal. He's a great scorer. I remember when he was out of the lineup, how bad the Rockets were, too. Remember, everybody could when's Harden getting back in the game. When's he going to be back in the lineup? I mean, the guy's instrumental. The guy's an all-star, uh, you know, MVP last year again. So you want him around and playing. Yeah, I guess you can't live with him. You can't live without him. And, 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 and Chris Paul, you know, just, uh, you know, I, I, I do want to say that, yeah, he was the MVP last year, but we know who the best player was for the Rockets in that Western Conference championship. But when that guy went down, we knew the Rockets weren't going to win. I mean, we, we we had at least a really good feeling that they weren't going to win with when he went down. So now that's a legitimate criticism, but we've known that. And but the problem is, is that the Rockets constructing their roster again. That was what we just mentioned here. It's like you know, you know that Chris Paul is going to get injured. You know that he's going to have times where he's not. Yeah, that's why you have to have good backup plans. It's he's like the quarterback that you know is only going to play eight to ten games. And what are you going to do about the other six? And you hope he makes it through the playoffs. Yeah, unfortunately, the Rockets absolutely need him this year. They can't live without Chris Paul. Uh, who who did the Astros? Well, who the can't they live without? Uh, any, oh, any good rumors out there on the Astros this this past week? Well, first we should probably, and maybe you want to say something about this, is uh, Brian McCann leaving the Astros, signing with the the Atlanta Braves, the organization that he came up with. And for Astros fans, we remember when, you know, Brian McCann was going up against even Roger Clemens there back in 2005 and uh, some memorable battles. And he's back with the Atlanta Braves. But, you know, just want to tip a cap to Brian McCann because, you know, he was part of the championship club in 2017 and worked great with the pitching staff had you know a, a really good postseason for the Astros they, they wouldn't have won the thing without him I mean there's no there's no question yeah. about it and you know he was the guy that was uh doing an incredible job of calling pitches of handling the staff of being a big part of the chemistry that they had in 2017 no question about it 
Uh, It's unfortunate that catchers, uh, when they go bad, it it, it could be a steep dive. And, you know, maybe that surgery that he had will, you know, give him a little bit more life into his knees and stuff like that. But, you know, the the Brian McCann of maybe two or three or years ago, four years ago, it's not coming back. So it's, it was understandable the the move that was made, but you know, you, we got to thank him for, you know, the championship. I mean, he will always have a place in every Astros fans heart, even though he was only with the Astros for a couple of years. And you see what his teammates think of him too, as well. I mean, it's that it's ex Astros teammates now that I, I saw like Colin McHugh, you know, number one teammate, you know, I mean that, that he tweeted about, you know, and, uh, you know, many other Astros, you know, said the same thing. Like you said, he was anchor of the staff, but, um, just a, a, a also a, a clubhouse presence and, and really kind of helped with the Astros and their championship run and, you know, winning all these games the past two seasons. Enough about that. Tell me how we're going to get, uh, Paul Goldschmidt and Zach Granke. That that's the rumor that I, I I've heard. I, I saw Brownie saying something about that on social media. So if Brownie says something that, then it's a it's a real rumor, RG. <laughs> well, I mean, we discussed this last week. I mean, Paul Goldschmidt. I mean, that's a, a great bat. You know that he's the star player on the Arizona Diamondbacks, and you know, this is a you know he's been an MVP caliber player in the past. So to add him to the roster to play first base would be a huge addition to the Astros lineup. Uh, you know, because he would play first base and probably put, you know, Yuli Gurriel at DH and around the diamond and and sub role like what Mar- Marwin Gonzalez did last year. Uh, but I still, you know, to me, like we talked about last week, I, I look at the Astros' biggest needs as being pitching and catching. And so, yeah, I mean, also adding, to, you know, strengthening the offense, making it more like it was in 2017. Uh, would be good too, but uh, it's almost like, do I want to trade a top prize? Pretend what the deal would have to be for it to get Paul Goldschmidt, especially Zach Granke. Look, right now, I look at him as a third or fourth starter. I mean, he hasn't been the same. He's not top of rotation. He's getting older. He's got the huge contract. So uh, to me, that's a little bit, if I'm going to go out and get somebody who's going to be a, you know, I don't want to get somebody who's basically like Justin Verlander's age, but not Justin Verlander. Uh, I want to, you know, be able to go out and maybe get somebody who's entering the prime of his career in the prime of his career. You know, if you're not going to be able to resign Garrett Cole, that's the type of guy that, you know, going out and getting that type of pitcher. Uh, I'm saying for the longer term, if you want to have him under contract, that's why James Paxton was appealing because at least he, you know, was a guy kind of in his prime right now who has, you know, left-hander, you know, has another two or three years. So the Yankees went out and got him like, and they're probably going to, looks like they're going after Patrick Corbin. They're going after Jay Happ. They're going after all the big name starters. Right. I only big name that I remember seeing in that rumored deal was, I guess, Corbin Martin, the the pitcher uh, in the minor leagues. But yeah, it just depends on, I'd have to see the the deal and how it would work. And, you know, I don't know if Granke is a guy that's, you know, in the same mold as, Verlander or Cole that has a history of, of postseason success. Cause that's, you want a guy that's going to be able to be aces in the postseason. but you know, if they can, if they could knock some money off of that Granky contract, I'm sure that would help in a deal too. I mean, that's, they wanted to see what you thought about, like, the Noah Syndergaard rumors store for the New York Mets. I mean, there have been talk that the new GM there uh, may be dealing uh, Noah Syndergaard and, would the Astros have been one of the rumored teams that would be after him? I mean, would would that be somebody that you would part with? I mean, then 
in that kind of deal, would you part with a Kyle Tucker or Forrest Whitley to go out and get a, a Noah Syndergaard? All I can think of is if you're going to bring a Noah to Houston, you know, I hope he brings his arc because, you know, we've had some flooding problems. I don't know if you've heard about that, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> of course, I mean, get, we need, we need to, st- they're, they're going to have to come out of this off season one way or another with another starting pitcher, if you're a trade or free agency, it, it's, they're going to have to come up with that. Cause I, I don't think you go into the season you know, with relying on a bunch of rookies, uh, guys that are coming up from the minor leagues that don't have the innings under their arm. And I, I think that's a recipe for disaster. You, you've got two guys that are guaranteed starters. You don't want to go, okay, well, we'll just rely on a couple of rookies and we'll bring back uh, Colin McHugh or Brad Peacock from the bullpen or something like that. No, I think they, they're going to, they got to go out and get somebody and maybe one spot you save for a rookie. And if that rookie doesn't work, you bring in another rookie or something like that. But yeah, they, they got to get a starter somehow. Oh, I, I no doubt about that. They're going to go out and get a starter. Just I, you know, the Astros, uh, John Morosi reported that they were, you know, they they favor the trade market over the free agency market and and getting tied up with the long term dollars. So, uh, and and that, again, that's why they're letting Dallas Keuchel go and uh, test the free agent waters. They did make him the qualifying offer, but he's not going to take that. He's going to go out and sign a long term deal. Uh, you know, so the Astros are are looking. There are various pitchers out there. We've already mentioned Zach Greinke. There's the Cleveland uh, Indians. They might be trading Corey Kluber or Carlos Carrasco. There's no uh, Noah Syndergaard. We mentioned uh, the Mets. I mean, so there. Uh, and of course, you know, there there might be other guys that we don't even know about. We're not talking about. And if, they're the free agent pitchers. And it, and and the Astros won't go after maybe the major free agent pitchers like a Patrick Corbin and you know, somebody that's going to command the top dollars, but maybe there'll be some mid-tier or guys that you can get on a bargain, you know, closer towards when uh, camp begins. So I, I want to ask you, because of Dallas Keuchel and, you know, the free agency, you know, he's not going to re-sign with the Astros. Wh- where do you think would be a good landing spot potentially for Dallas Keuchel? Is he going to just gonna end up in New York? I mean, isn't New York the obvious spot? Because they don't want him on another team because he's owned the Yankees. And, and, uh, uh, he's got like a part ownership, uh, with the Steinbrenners or something like that. So yeah, I might say that, but I don't know because it's like with Dallas Keuchel, uh, you know, they just traded for James Paxton and they, they re-signed CC Sabathia. So they have those two left-handed plus they still have Luis Severino, Masahiro Tanaka, and they want to go out and sign Patrick Corbin. That's their number one target. He's the the best pitcher overall, better than Dallas Keuchel in this year's market, uh, according to the experts. So if they get him and they also had Jay Happ last year, they want to bring him back too. So I don't know if they want to put out the big dollars for Dallas Keuchel over the years. If it, it you know, especially they haven't moved Sonny Gray yet. They're expecting to move him out of there. Um, that's why I'm wondering, you know, maybe where could be another spot that Dallas Keuchel goes to, you know, uh, who, who knows? Cause there are only a few big spending teams out there. I mean, the Phillies say, Hey, we're open for business. In fact, we might even spend some crazy money. So I guess you can't discount Philadelphia. Uh, you know, you, you have to look at the angels. What would you think if Dallas Keuchel went to the angels in their, the Astros own division? Because they're looking for starting pitching. They're going to be after Patrick Corbin, Jay Happ, and, and you know maybe Dallas Keuchel. They have the Angels, of course, the LA market. They have the money. Right. I, I just, you know, I mean, I don't want to see Dallas Keuchel facing the Astros a bunch of times a year like they will with the Angels. But on the other hand, I, I, I don't know if I see the Angels 
as a super threat to the Astros just yet. I mean, I think they, they're they going to have to make some a lot more moves to where I feel like maybe they're on the Astros uh, tier. But then again, maybe maybe I, I could be overestimating the Astros this year. Maybe it's it's a, this division is going to be a lot more wide open with the some of the losses that the Astros have had in this offseason. I guess it kind of depends on who they get. It's I mean, that that's a big part of it is who, who did the Astros – deal for who do they add in the off season um you talk about astros and uh players they might get and and where where they might go for a trade mike elias is now the gm of the orioles uh his assistant gm is sig Dahl, and just uh that smells like uh th- that could be a team that they might want to deal with if the orioles have anything uh that they're interested in i don't know if the orioles have uh stuff that you're interested in rg but uh if, if i'm taking something out of the old Texans playbook. They, they always like to, you know, play in the sandbox with their, their old uh, employees and stuff like that. I mean, we've seen with Sam Hankey and remember Robert Covington that was in that Jimmy Butler trade, the former rocket that ended up with the Sixers and, um, and minor, minor stuff. But, you know, I just think of some of the stuff that the uh, rockets and the Texans have done with their, their old, uh, you know, guys in their organization and stuff like that. I don't think, you know, there might be some guys that, uh, you know, like a Dylan Bundy, maybe if the Orioles make him available or something. But I really see like, you know, I mean, the Orioles were the, the worst team in baseball, of course, last year. And I think they would maybe there be some pieces maybe you could add from their roster or that, you know, they and of course, you like you said, they know the minor league system well. But I I don't really see, you know, like. I mean, the the Astros are looking for getting back to your earlier point. They're looking for guys that can be, you know, impactful on their roster for for the upcoming season because they're going to be contenders. And I I you know, we don't know what they'll do. But I, I guess, again, the reason to be optimistic about the Astros as opposed to even the Rockets going into the season when you had guys kind of on. You're looking at Chris Paul, who's on the wrong side of, uh, you know, father time here going getting older. I mean, the Astros really you had Carlos Correa for not even what a half a season. He wasn't even Carlos Correa that he regularly is in the playoffs. I mean, you get a healthy Carlos Correa next season. That's huge. You get Jose Altuve back to what he was. Remember last two months of the season? He won. These are your core guys that go out every single day that are playing. And if they're healthy, I mean, that should you know, they're in their prime right now. I mean, that's why you have to feel good about the Astros. Plus, they still have a top farm system. So they have the, the depth to draw upon. I mean, we I know that Kyle Tucker struggled in his, you know, debut with the Astros and didn't look good. But the guy still has a great swing. He's still a top prospect in baseball. If the Astros parted with him, they could get a great player from another team. So, I mean, it, you know, they they really still have a really good minor league system and they still have guys in their core. This isn't an aging roster. So, But then again, you know, we, we see how dominant the Yankees look and we see how dominant and we know from the World Series the past year how the Red Sox are. And it's almost like the Astros are in this strange period right now. Remember when the Yankees and the Red Sox in the late 90s, early 2000s, when they were the, the best teams in baseball and battling it out and doing that? Well, now you've got to throw the Astros in that mix. But they're kind of in this new renaissance with, you know, the Yankees and the Red Sox. You know, maybe one of them was good or the other was good or on the downfall, you know, uh, they they weren't both great at the same time. And unfortunately for the Astros over the next few years here, both of these teams, because of their young players, because of what they can spend, they're going to be great uh, for the next few years. And that's why it was good also to win in 2017 and have a World Series trophy 
but also have that belief that you can beat these teams, which they can. Well, it's the most wonderful time of the year. It's the most wonderful. You know, you know the song. It's uh, Christmas, and that means doing some caroling now on HST. You're gonna make it a musical hour. You're gonna be spinning the tunes. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm just saying it. It's sh- that means it's shopping season. That means it's Christmas. What would shopping be your season. DJ name? Would it be DJ Land? Uh, Jeff Luno is. Uh, checking his you know making a list checking it twice you know all that kind of thing so he's trying to figure out who he's going to get for the astros uh you know what what what's the uh guy that you're going to throw a bow on and you're going to put the wrapping paper around and everything like that so i'm looking i'm looking forward to that any last thoughts before we round round it out for this one close out this week's show uh, you got any college football thoughts for these games upcoming this weekend not much. I mean, Ohio State or Oklahoma for number four. Who do you think will end up at number four? Uh, or unless I mean, I, I, I take it that Georgia is going to lose to Alabama. I figure you probably think that, so they're not going to slide into number four. But who are your four teams? Yeah, I don't care. I mean, it's roll tide. Nobody's going to stop Alabama. Between Ohio State and Oklahoma, if both win, who would you pick? You know what? I haven't even thought about it because it, I just know that Alabama is going to win. So I just I haven't cared much about the college football season championship stuff because we know Why don't you just fill out a top 25 with Bama, 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 Bama. Well, that's all we got for this one. Uh, go check out Locked On Texans uh, because they're the hottest team in all of the AFC kids. I mean, there's nobody hotter in the AFC than the than the Houston Texans. So Locked On Texans, we do it daily. We do this weekly. We might have a another guest coming up this week. Look for maybe a bonus show from us. And uh, other than that, we, we will talk to you again later. Uh, hope you had a wonderful holiday season on Thanksgiving and uh, and enjoying the, uh, the lead up towards Christmas. Thanks again for listening, and if you're new to the show, subscribe to Houston Sports Talk on iTunes, Stitcher, or the TuneIn app. You can keep up with this show and my daily Locked On Texans podcast on Twitter and Facebook or by going to HoustonSportsTalk.net or LockedOnTexans.com.